This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kristen Schreuer, and you're listening to episode 12. Today's guest started a business, now a national lifestyle brand, which you can find in Target and is one of Oprah's favorite things by creating something for herself. But it's not as easy as that sounds. Getting her business off the ground took hustle, community, and a problem-solving attitude. Micah May of May Design joins us today to talk about how her love for design and paper turned into a national brand. The second part of today's episode is near and dear to my heart, where Micah talks about her amazing son, Jackson, who was born with Down syndrome. She talks about the grieving process and how special he is to their family. Micah's approach to life is that every day is a gift and that she is ready for whatever life has planned. She will leave you uplifted and strong, and there are so many life lessons for everyone in today's episode. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Micah. Welcome, Micah, to the Illuminate podcast. We are so excited to have you on the show today, and you are a guest that has been on my mind for a long time, so we really appreciate your time today. Yay! I'm super pumped to be here with you, so um, I'm super excited to share all the things. Micah, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? I I actually know you initially through your business with May Designs and with the notebooks that you have that I can get at Target now. And I just want to hear a little bit about how you got started. How did this business come about? Yeah. So we are actually celebrating our 10th year. I cannot believe it has been 10 years since I kind of came up with this idea. And um, man, it's been quite a journey. So Way back when, I basically started an accidental notebook business, which was not the plan for my life, Um, but it was somebody else's plan, and I'm so happy that, that that it has worked out. So yeah, 10 years ago, I, so I was a graphic and kind of web designer by hobby slash occupation. I wouldn't even say by trade or training because I went to school at A&M was a journalism major. They didn't really have a lot of like design stuff. I did not go to school for graphic design specifically, but that was always my passion. And my mom actually got one of the first Apple or Mac computers when they were giant and big and white. And she learned cork and a bunch of old school design programs and always was doing, I learned how to do projects at home on an Apple computer with design, like fancy design software, because she showed me how. And so I kind of just always had a love for design. 
And so it kind of journalism kind of felt like the most logical type step. I love marketing and PR and journalism and writing and creativity. And AM didn't have like a perfect design program. I didn't really fit anywhere. And so I ended up writing my own curriculum. And then I graduated, went to New York, thought I would work in an ad agency. That didn't work out. And I ended up kind of at my dream job where I was doing event planning and I was able to morph my design skills in as you do in a nonprofit because you wear a million hats. And so I started to kind of ramp up my design skills and really, you know, I think that's when I fell in love with the process of design, more specifically layout, pattern work, all the kind of things that lend itself to corporate identity or pattern creation. And so yeah, back in those early days of kind of my 20s, I did graphic design and that was my big my big passion. Um, and so I also love paper and pen and paper and I love writing things down. And so I had made a notebook for myself because I basically just have post-it notes everywhere. I'm like an idea machine. And if I'm on the phone with a doctor, I'm writing things down. If I'm on the phone with a friend, I'm like writing down what they say. And so I would just find all these post-it notes, but I wanted to bring them with me. And so I basically just kind of made the notebook of my dreams and made it really small and pretty so I could carry it around and be proud of this thing. And that is the thing that people then started to want was when I did someone's logo, they wanted notebooks because I had just put my logo on the notebook, like a black notebook. And then I made it a little bit cuter. The next kind of my next iteration of the notebook, I made it a little bit cuter. And then I started creating patterns with my logo on them. And so I, people started calling them Micah May books or May books and people started to want to buy them. And so that is how I say I kind of accidentally started this thing was I was truly just creating notebooks for myself and didn't plan on launching a national brand to sell notebooks, but that's what happened. Wow. That's awesome. I am a writer. I write everything down as well. I have a two notebook system for work, in fact, that many people have adapted on my team that it's, you know, your notes from a meeting and then your to-do list. And then I am really into the post-it notes as well. They're like on my mirror in the bathroom and you know, reminders and, and ideas. So I, I think my brain, my brain thinks along your notebook ways. Yes. And you know, a lot of, a lot of people have resonated with it. It's not a lot. I mean, so many people, especially in those early days were like, you're literally behind the times, like the whole world, you know, the iPhone maybe had just come out. I don't even remember if it had come out, but it was still super moving towards digital, not backwards, right? The movement was not, let's get a paper agenda or a paper notebook. It was so much more trending in the digital capacity. And, it, you know, but it it's there. I have a digital calendar. I have like my whole life is online, but I never I'm without my notebook. I feel fully naked if I do not have just a space to write something down or an ideas. And um, I think a lot of the world has resonated with that. So um, it's, it gives me hope that even in this kind of crazy modern screen digital age, there's room for a pen and a paper. <laughs> I was thinking about that as you were, well, first of all, with your graphic design. So 10 plus years, that industry has changed so much because of the digital age. Yep. Yep. And even the skill set that you probably have to have to be very successful has evolved over time. So per perhaps if they had a design program at A&M 
for you, some of those skills might not be the same that you'd need now with how, how the industry has trended, right? Absolutely. And I think now, as we're seeing kind of across all industries, I, I think this is true. I'm not sure, but I think there's just super niche kind of experts in with, with it, right? Like micro experts. So even within graphic design, there's lettering artists, there's illustration experts, there's like magazine layout and kind of font type people who work in InDesign where layout is their thing, right? Like catalogs and magazines. And then there's web, which is a whole other beast, right? When it used to be just graphic design and you were expected to not only do a logo, but a baby invitation and also a website and UI UX design online. And like, you know, now there's just such, such minute. Yeah. I mean, like experts with just the finest detail of expertise, which I think is relevant now. There's so much more design needs. And I think the level of brands and packaging and all of it has rate, like the the customer expectation is that there's actually going to be great design, which I personally love. I love to see some of these mega brands going through a rebrand to become more relevant for our eyeballs now. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah. So, but the notebook's not going to go away. At least I hope. I was having I a conversation. So. I was having a conversation with my dad. They were my parents were visiting this weekend, and I was writing our grocery list for the week. And he's like, "Why are you doing this on a piece of paper?" I'm like, "Because this is. I don't want it on my phone, because I, you know, I'm pulling out recipes out of different books, and I also have a toddler who goes with me to the grocery store, That's, and I was you can't have say, your phone time, out." Yep. Half the time, either my kid has a phone and they're playing something in the cart while I'm trying to frantically shop. Yeah. So you need, I need that notebook, the grocery notebook. Both my husband and I write those things down. (laughs) Exactly. Or I just rip it out and hand it to my husband. Like, here's the list. Go. Exactly. Okay. Um, So you design this notebook for yourself and then, then people, you know, your network probably, right? They, they said, well, we want one. So how did this evolve? So it started, honestly, with more corporate kind of orders. So I was on the board of something called NABO. It's the National Association of Women Business Owners. I mean, back in 2008, 2007, there were not as many women entrepreneurs, creative industry entrepreneurs as there are now. I mean, I think we've seen, obviously, in the past decade, just like everyone I feel like is a creative entrepreneur. Every woman I know has like some sort of side hustle. And so I think at that time, my way of connecting with other women was this organization. So I knew a lot of women who had much bigger organizations like law firms, giant benefit companies and insurance. They were just leaders in the industry in Dallas, Fort Worth. And so those women I had already done work for, whether it was design, marketing pieces, brochures, things that they were needing, just super more corporate. And I thought, these women have hired me to bring in a little more feminine touch to some of their branding. I bet they would want a notebook that reflects some of this branding. And so I literally called up 10 of them, mocked up the books and brought them downstairs to their, you know, like lobbies. And I just said, Hey, how much would you pay for these? And would you buy a hundred with your logos on them? Here's an example. And so I literally did that in one day. I just drove around because when I have an idea, I get excited about it and I just want to flesh it out and see if it's going to work or not. And all of those women said yes. 
So I sold about a thousand notebooks in a day. And that is when I figured, oh, I, A, this can work. B, this can scale. And now how in the heck am I going to produce these? I got to figure that out. So that's kind of how it started was more the corporate side of things. Um, and then it morphed into friends going, Hey, you've, you've been spending a lot of time and energy on these weird little May books, but like, I don't have a logo. I have a name. And so, you know, essentially someone's name or their initials or last, last initial is, um, kind of like a brand, right? It's kind of like your logo. And so, started to design actual patterns more for the masses, my friends who would want a chevron or a polka dot with their monogram on it. And so that's kind of when it went um, to the next level of, okay, here's another, you know, basically pillar of sales, right? There was corporate sales, which was one, one to many, right? I design it once and someone buys a hundred or a thousand or 10,000 to one-on-one. On one. one person can pick out one chevron and a monogram and put their you know, favorite inside page in it and we're making one, which was kind of revolutionary in 2009. Yeah, definitely. Now, how did you determine, so for the first, those first thousand orders, how'd you figure out your price point on that? Honestly, I had no idea. And I just asked, I think it changed probably like seven times throughout the, the day as I met with one person. I'm like, would you pay $10? Okay, great. I'm like, would you pay $11? And then I charged them all eventually the same thing. I don't even remember what it was, right? Like $9 a notebook or $10 or 20. And so I think I just, you know, in it broke down by tiers, right? So some people wanted a hundred and some people wanted a thousand. And so I was really candid with everyone to say, I don't know what I'm doing. You are part of the first prototype and it's a test run. Like, tell me how much you think the value is of these. You know what I mean? And so that there was a lot of ebbing and flowing and tweaking of the product. I got faster. I got better. I got my pricing got more tight um, because I was really listening to the customers about what they, where their obstacles were or where they were like, yeah, no brainer. We've got a corporate budget and this is nothing like we've ever seen on the market. And it was a high value to have something different, right? For an event or for a board retreat or for corporate gifting. And so I think that they, you know, I really, really listened to those early clients and have throughout the past 10 years and listened to what people are excited about, whether it's patterns or inside pages. We, I really lean into our community of uh, purchasers who want something and I want to try and give it to them if we can. So that's great. Okay. So there's three themes that I'm hearing from this. So one, I love that you went to your community of the women business owners, and that's really powerful, and that there were women supporting women to be successful. Yes. Second, love your hustle, and that in a day you had those first thousand orders. Yep. <laughs> and, and yeah, had to figure out what to do. Right? <laughs> listening to your customers and figuring out, I mean, my guess is that you have gone through many prototypes and it, your, your notebooks have evolved since 10 years ago significantly based on hearing what people need or, or the evolution of the world and how those needs have changed over time. Yeah. I think one thing that's been really fascinating is um, honestly like the scrapbook kind of community and world. People who used to do scrapbooks for their kids or their life or their family as a hobby has morphed into using notebooks to plan out their week and their month and their year with washi tape and stickers and accessories and all kinds of embellishments, which 
was not necessarily my intention in the way that I, Micah May, use as a notebook, right? I, I use it and almost have used a notebook the exact same way for a decade, and I'm not quite sure I'll ever change. However, learning and watching, especially when Instagram and people sharing, and I can actually see, right? Like, I think that's some of the beauty of social media and being able to go into somebody's world, right? In their home, see how they're using it, sharing. That is my favorite thing is looking at people's notebooks when they're used and abused and in and out of their purse and marked up. Like it is my absolute favorite thing to see how people use their notebook. And so I think a surprising kind of use case that has evolved through the years is the movement of some of the kind of scrapbook community that has now lent itself to using a notebook in that way, right? There's more like archival and forward thinking of how are they going to plan out their week and using stickers and all those post-it notes and all that stuff. So, and then bullet journalers, right? Or the movement of gratitude and writing down five things you're grateful for. So a lot of that kind of movement of being mindful and meditative, also making your to-do list and getting things done, all that I think has changed through the past couple of years. And we're trying to really give, give people what they're wanting in terms of what they're seeing out in the world anyway. So have you adapted any of the notebook offerings that you have? You know, you said you, you use your traditional notebook the way you've always used it. And that's probably how you always will. But have there been elements that you've now incorporated in that you've heard other people like and that you've that product has really moved you in your own life? I will say, though, yes, yes, 100%. So one of the ones that when I had my first, um, when, I, when I had Jackson, I was a new mom trying to frantically remember what in the world was happening in those early weeks of breastfeeding all the time. Maybe I gave them a bottle. I napped, they napped, they didn't, they forgot to feed on this one side. Like all of the things that I feel like you're trying to track the ounces that he was eating. He was like, had lost a lot of weight. And so we were trying to gain it back. I just had stuff everywhere. And so I basically developed like newborn notes kind of inside pages. And that has been a really fun book to kind of watch people love and use through the years. Um, because it really meets a need for those first six weeks when you're a new mama and you're all over the map and your brain isn't working and functioning properly. And there's a lot of details to keep up. So I think making super specific inside pages that people could put a pattern on and put their kids monogram or initials or name or a phrase that's motivating to them in the middle of the night when they're like, Oh my gosh, I haven't slept. Um, so I think that that just kind of as my life has continue to kind of grow. Those are the things like, okay, here's a newborn journal. Okay. You know, here's a budget journal. Here's something that's going to help you stay on track, whether you just got a new job and you got a raise or you've lost a job and you're trying to figure out how to make ends meet or you're a single household income and you're dying to do that epic Disney vacation. And how are you going to make a plan? So I think that some of these inside pages came from requests from other customers that I might not have fully made, but have learned to love and create, yeah, a need for in my own personal life. That's great. I'm pregnant with my second and I'm going to probably need that newborn one. Yes. The app didn't work for me when I had my first, just tracking all that stuff. It just didn't work for me. But if I had something to write down and track it, that would work for me. I'm definitely the pen and paper kind of person. 
Well, and then, you know, the app was great, but what I found was if a mother-in-law or my mom or somebody that was watching a friend or a husband, like I couldn't leave my phone with the app. And instead of getting everyone on board with the app, it just felt like someone can read this book. Like yeah. someone can understand exactly how many ounces and when and what and poops and pees and the whole thing. Like I, you know, it's got little diapers on there that you can write poo or pee and check them off. So you're just like checking all that stuff. I just didn't even know you needed to check it. And frankly, you know, it has like pediatrician notes and immunization type stuff that you might want. So you can bring that book and show it to the doctor when they ask, start asking you a million questions that I did not know I was going to have to answer at my, you know, one week, six week, right. whatever, all those checkups. So I don't even remember the things that I was probably supposed to remember from the last time. So it'll be good to have something that were, will guide me <laughs> exactly going forward. Exactly. Okay, so how did you scale? You were just you, right? There's nobody else in in your business in the beginning, right? You now you have an I mean, you're a lifestyle brand, right? So now you have this whole brand. How did you scale? Yeah, at the beginning, it was just me, and always was like, I mean, I'm the first to say I need help. So whether it was finding someone to help me with kiddos at home, where there's like mothers helpers that were at my house while I was shipping orders, or it was someone that then I was helping pay like part-time to come and package up the orders while I was with my kids. Like there was always this juggle of, I can't, I fully can't do it myself. Now I did do most of it myself, but in those early years I was, I was involving friends. I was paying people part-time to like come in and help or just run stuff from the printer to the stitcher to the mailbox. Right. Like, you know, I was always doing that kind of stuff. Um, uh, but no one was like a, like a permanent employee. Um, so the first, those early years I did, I, I, I relied heavily on advice from friends and people that it was free. And honestly, my best friend's husband at the time was super engaged and very thoughtful and was always asking me really great questions and seemed to, we traveled with them a lot. And so he would always ask like, Hey, have you thought about doing, you know, fundraisers for schools? And I can see how this would work. Like just always was coming up with ideas and was a great problem solver. And so after several years, he basically, you know, I would, you know, I think I remember this one time we were visiting him and I just, you know, we stayed up real late, we're chatting and he just said, look, I love you, but I love this, what you've built. And I think it can really work and really scale. Like, what if, what if I come on board as a partner and help you grow this thing? And so he was my first like technical employee, even though I don't think we, either of us got paid for the first year, you know, he was mm -hmm. my person that felt like, okay, he's in it with me. And so it was basically this guy, John, in those early days. And then, um, lot, I'm sure you've heard this or a lot of people have heard this, but we got on Good Morning America and that's a whole long epic story, but he was there in that, that first Good Morning America, which I absolutely could not have survived without him. Um, and that, that was, that was the moment that we began to kind of scale and started hiring, you know, a customer service team. And if you've emailed in Jackie, Jackie Lake was our absolute first kind of queen of customer service. And she was with us for four and a half years, took a little hiatus and a break. She was raising three boys and then has actually come back. And so she is still with us. Oh, that's great. She's the head of our customer service department. And so if you email in like orders at mandesigns.com, you're going to talk to Jackie and she is absolutely fantastic and just has been with me since the very beginning. So that's really fun. That's great. And I mean, you're now on Oprah's favorite things list. You're in Target. And how does that feel? I feel so grateful. I just, 
I feel like every day is a gift and I'm so honored for all of it. I'm honored for all the successes and the things. And I think I feel super proud that I scaled a business, not by myself, but with an incredible team that has ebbed and flowed for the past decade. Partners that have come in and out and employees and my team have come in and out and It's just been such a delight to, I think, respect the journey, right? It's not a destination. It's like this thing. And I think as we're celebrating 10 years, like yesterday, we literally launched this giant vault of 100 of our top favorite patterns and top customer requested patterns to come back. It's just super nostalgic for me at this moment of like, oh my gosh, I can't. A, I can't believe I'm still doing this. B, the studios and just the the places I've been and the team that has come along with me. I just, I feel super grateful. That's that's the overwhelming emotion for sure. That's fantastic. And your energy is so inspiring and your positivity is so inspiring. And I'm sure they weren't all positive moments along the journey. No, absolutely not. It's 100% the hardest thing I've ever done and probably will ever do unless I start another business one day, which, you know, I've, I've learned a lot of the things I wouldn't do again. And, but some of those things you just, you, there's no other way around it except to learn the hard way. And I think that's probably my greatest advice for any working mama or new kind of entrepreneur starting out is like, it is impossible to know the obstacles you're going to face on the front end. There's just no way. You could read a million books, you can get advice from people, but your business is unique and your personality is unique. And the combination of those two things is not going to be like anyone's experience ever. And if you don't love to problem solve, then you should not start a business (laughs) because that's basically what I'm doing for the past 10 years is putting out one fire after the next and recognizing a new problem and trying to figure out a creative way to solve it. And that fuels me and makes me feel very excited. And if you don't love to problem solve and you want someone else to do it for you, then like you definitely should not start a business. That's great advice. It seems like a bad, like mean, mean, mean mentor advice, but it's true. And I, and I mean, I'm quick to be like you, if you don't, you know, I think, I think the greatest, so many people ask, what would you tell someone just starting out? And the people that I can confidently look around in a room and if they say, oh, you know, I want to start a business because I want more free time or I want just a little bit of extra cash for a thing or I want to be that lady who lunches and I want, you know, like, no, 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 and no. That's Those are absolutely the wrong motives and none of those things are going to come true. You're going to work hard. You're going to work more. And it might not be profitable for a while because it's not just an instant success for anyone. And I think there is a giant misconception, especially now social media and this like illusion of success. Right. And so, um, yeah, I think you got to check your motive if you're out there hustling and trying to either get a side hustle into a full-time gig, you know, don't, don't quit your day job until you know, it's really going to work. And believe me, give it your all. I am like the world's biggest dreamer and advocate for going off and starting something new and doing all of it, but it's not easy. Anyone who tells you it's easy, maybe you should get into exactly what they're doing (laughs) because most of them are not. So, yeah, I think your point as well about how social media makes some 
entrepreneurial endeavors and businesses look so beautiful and easy and fun and flexible, it certainly is a misconception there. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. So you are the mom of three. Tell me about your kids. So my oldest is Jackson. He is 10. Um, he is the delight and love of my life. He wants to snuggle with me 24-7. And when I was first found out I was having a boy, so many kind of boy mamas were like, it is the best ever. And they boys love their mommies so much. And I just was kind of like, okay, sure. I just didn't understand. And now I get it. And he just thinks I hung the moon and sometimes when I walk in he just says pretty and he just thinks that uh it's just the best so um he was my first and my only boy also fun fact about Jax is he was born with Down syndrome so we're you know he's it was a surprise when he was born and we can talk more about that but having an extra 21st chromosome has been something that has completely changed our life and our family dynamic forever. And I'm feel like it's such a gift. Um, so that's Jackson. He's 10. Madeline is nine. Um, so someone said, because, you know, like their greatest advice for having a kiddo with down syndrome is get, get, get him a friend, a sibling as quick as we can. However, we can do that, whether it was through adoption or a biological, um, sibling. And so I got pregnant intentionally pregnant at eight months. And so, try you know they basically said this other this other sibling will most likely walk and talk and kind of do things before he will and we'll show him the ropes and so um that is what we did so they're 16 months apart and then um that that was a lot that I was <laughs> I waited I have a lot of questions about the 16 months apart <laughs> we just yeah it was a lot but yeah and then so we waited a little bit for the dust to settle with my life and I, it was like at the height of all of this with May Designs and Good Morning America, like I literally had a one-year-old and a two-year-old and a startup business. And, and so you had quit I, your, your initial day job at this yeah, point. Oh, yeah. Okay. Built a house like all just in 18 months. It was just, just did it all. Okay. Absolute insanity. Like had two jobs, had two kids, all special needs, built a house, like the whole thing and moved cities. So we like sold the house that we built, moved, basically waited a minute and then had my third. So uh, she's six. And so they're three years apart, Madeline and Harper. So six, nine, and 10 are my kiddos. I love that. And so my, my son, I have a son and being a boy mom is so great. And he's, I hope he snuggles as long as Jackson snuggles you. He totally will. He, when he wakes up in the morning, he, and I go into his room and get him out of script. He goes, mommy, I missed you when I was sleeping. Oh my gosh. And it just like, you just want to melt into the floor. I know. I know. That's the best. It's so sweet. So I work for Special Olympics and I have followed you. Well, as I said, I, I learned about you first from May Designs and then learned about Jackson. And I just would love to hear a little bit more about Jackson. Um, Tell me, so you did not know that you were, you were going to have a baby with Down syndrome. You found out we, when he was born. Yep. We didn't know. Can you talk about that? What, what was that journey like? Yeah. So, um, I think, you know, all birth stories have such an intimate, it's such an intimate space 
um, giving birth to a baby, especially as a new mama, I just had no idea about any of it. Um, and I'm also the kind of person, just the way my personality is, is I don't, yes, I plan. I, it, it's a very weird mix of planning and dreaming of the future. And then also being super spontaneous and not thinking through like some of the normal practical details that the rest of the world probably maps out. I can't fully explain and reconcile that. But as an example, I planned his nursery and the baby showers and like all that stuff. Right. But I didn't pick a pediatrician for him. Like I was just like, Oh, I'll figure that out. It's no big deal. Like we'll just a dime a dozen. I was one of the first among my friends to have babies. I'm like, I'll just find just like ask my two friends that have babies who theirs is and like go all in on that one. And so I basically when we had Jackson hadn't committed to a pediatrician. And so just the on-call pediatrician was doing rounds and kind of my birth story is I, you know, I'd had some complications and started bleeding and I didn't really go into labor. I had Pitocin for 12 hours. And so his heart rate spiked and I had to do an emergency C-section. And I, but this time I'd been in the hospital for 24 hours and I was just exhausted. And so honestly, like they took him, the C-section, cleaned him up, the whole thing. And we just did not know for hours that anything could be different or um that anything might be alarming from a medical perspective and he was just our baby for you know eight hours we we just had no nobody mentioned anything at all and so it was almost you know 10 hours after I had given birth and he'd been hanging out with us and the whole thing that it was probably five o'clock and a the pediatrician on call literally kind of popped in. I had finally gone to sleep as you do with like all the meds and things and whatever. And so many people coming in and nursing and like all that. So, you know, this person kind of like did a little knock on the door, casually kind of opened it, stood at the door with a, like a dress, normal clothes on and a purse on her shoulder and said, Hey, I'm, I'm a pediatrician on call. I just wanted to stop by real quick on my way out to dinner and let you know, Jax is good. You know, I saw him earlier today. Um, there's like a 50, 50 chance he has down syndrome, but we're going to run some tests and we'll get back with you tomorrow. And so like, have a great night. Just like that. So casual. Just like that. And I, I mean, she was, I mean, like a good eight feet away, you know I mean? Like I'm in the bed, can't move, was asleep. And she's standing at the door with a purse on her shoulder. Like, I'm sorry, wait, hi, let me, could you, could you just come on? Like, can you come, can you come closer? Can you come into the room? And like, let me sit up. Let me wake up. Hi, what's your name would be a great start. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? I yeah. just, and I'm super gracious towards like bad bedside manners. <laughs> you know, I was just like, let's just, can we get a redo? Cause I'm confused. I feel like I heard you say that my kid has down syndrome, but like, I don't even know who the hell you are. So that was how the words literally like funneled into my ears for the first time. And so I think our parent, no one was even in the room with us except my husband. And I think that like our parents had run downstairs, like downstairs to get food, you know, like it was just us, it was five o'clock. And so she kind of just made, she said almost the exact same thing again. Like, yeah, we see some signs. Here's this, 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 like rattled off the things that kind of were, you know, medically suspicious, like his toes had a little gap and his eyes were almond shaped and like these things that again, a, 
newborns are kind of like swollen and don't fully look like themselves. Yeah, they're kind of alien looking in general, kinda right? Kind of like that. Yeah, they're like, I'm like, I, you just came out and I'm just in love. With, I was just in love with them. Of course. And instantly, it was just mine. And so um, I just, yeah, I just, it was such a shock of like the whole thing because I didn't have any inclination from like a gasp or like a nurse's or they whisked him off and you sort of get that like, what if something's wrong? I didn't have any of that. I just had 10 hours with him with like thinking he was perfect and great. And And he he is. is. And he was. And he is. And so, um, yeah, I think to like, oh yeah, there's this like weird chance, like 50, 50. And so anyway, that, that was weird. So then we didn't know like, well, does he, does he not? Like, we're just like started to examine him, you know? And with this fine tooth comb of like, well, let's look at his eyes again. Like, let's, 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 it just, it just was a ridiculous, weird space. And so I think in those moments, I just, we had honestly, we'd had a mentor couple when we first got married that lived in Dallas that had four kids that we loved and had babysit through the years. And they mentored us as a early married couple and their youngest had Down syndrome. His name was Will and we adore him and loved him. And I, I, when she said that, I was like, of course. Of course, this incredible family has been in our life for the past five years for such a time as this and for this moment, because I am not, I know somebody and I know a mom, I know a human that's eight that I love that has Down syndrome. And I have a mama who fiercely loves me that I love that has been raising this incredible family with Down syndrome in their lives. And so I think I just was like, okay, great. This is what, this is what we're doing. We have Down syndrome now. My husband, that was not his reaction right away. And so that was harder, honestly, I think was seeing some of the grief that my husband felt was some of the more like painful experience of my life is watching him and the expectations he had for his son that you didn't even know that he had had, right? Like all those things of, is he going to be able to throw a football in the front yard with me? Is he going to be able to go on long mountain biking rides with me? Is he fill in the blank of all the things that like you hope for your kids that you don't even know you hope for until they're potentially threatened. I think that was like so hard for me to watch him grieve. And so, whoo, sorry. Haven't uh, cried about that for a while, but yeah, I think, I think I was just ready for whatever, whatever life has. And I think that's probably the theme of how I operate in general, whether it's problem solving for business, problem solving for like an extra chromosome. I'm like, okay, let's roll up our sleeves. Like we got this. What, what therapies do we need? Like I'm not a victim kind of personality. I'm a, let's figure this out with a smile kind of personality. And so, um, I think that that's probably how, you know, how I've approached Jackson is, man, let's, let's get him the best possible care. What are the things I need to know? And just was ready to fight and go to battle for him and be his strongest advocate and cheerleader and therapist and all of those things. When frankly, I don't know how to do those things. You know, I'm, I'm not a therapist, like a physical therapist. I'm not a sensory integration therapist. I'm definitely not a speech therapist. Um, I am now, and I, you know, my, my girls are too, right? There's lots of times where we're sitting at the dinner table and whether they were early and we were signing things to him, now we don't, we don't sign. We're only just using verbal, but he, you know, my girls are like, okay, Jackson, say 
chocolate, chocolate, right? Or whatever it is. So it's just, it's just been such a beautiful journey to have him in our life and understand that how I'm treating him and see him is how my girls and our family is seeing him and treating him. And hopefully that's how he ultimately feels about himself is that he only is feeling unconditional love flowing out from me and our family. And I know he feels it. He doesn't feel alienated from the world. He feels like he is a part of everything and that he's just living his best life. And that is what my greatest hope for him is. That's beautiful. And I love your life approach about how you're ready for whatever life's offering you and that you're going to tackle it head on and problem solve. And of course, I, you know, I think your husband's reaction is so normal and natural and, you know, now he has new expectations, right? of what his amazing son is able to do and is able to achieve and perhaps even higher expectations for your daughters who they are going to be even higher achievers because they have Jackson and because they Mm -hmm. have that experience with him and they they know what life is like with somebody so special as part of their family and everyday life. Yeah. And I think just watching them from afar engage with anyone they meet that is different any kind of different, right? Whatever it might look like, they are the first to just walk up and say, hey, what's your name? How old are you, right? Whether it's someone they meet that, you know, doesn't have a limb or can't maybe fully, isn't verbal. Like they're just, they're not afraid of different. And I, they don't even see Jackson as different, right? And I think that that's what's so beautiful. In fact, actually, my, we were um, over at my husband's family's house <laughs> this past weekend and she had given them like a Target catalog to circle, you know, just fun. Like, what do you want for Christmas kind of stuff? And Madeline was flipping through. She goes, mom, look, here's a baby with Down syndrome. Like, way to go Target with your inclusion, right? I mean, how does a yes, nine-year-old way to go, know Target. those words, right? And yeah. so she's clearly hearing them from me and the like ultimate respect that, brands and everything I think in this now world where we're we're showing everyone now in catalogs and in print and media and all those things which is how it should have always been and I'm just thrilled to death that it's now like catching up with society to include everybody of all abilities and genders and you know it it's I think it's a really beautiful sweet time um of differences and respecting and loving and honoring everyone exactly as they are. And so, yes, my girls, I think it's really a beautiful thing to watch them um, and watch the world around them be like, Oh yeah, of course there's a person with down syndrome in this ad, like, because they're awesome. You know, they don't even, yeah. So the special mix chairman, Tim Shriver, he always uses the term diff abilities, which I love that of, yeah, we all just have different abilities who we are. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about the lucky few? Maybe just provide a little bit of history. I I obviously have a familiarity with it, but I'd love to share a little bit about that with our listeners. Sure. So um, my dear friend, Heather Avis is the one who wrote a book called the lucky few. And I think she was the one who 
basically kind of strict, especially on Instagram, started the lucky few hashtag when she was talking about the community of people who have someone of significance with Down syndrome in their life is we believe, she believes like we are among the lucky few who get to have this person in our life. And so she started the lucky few kind of like whatever you call it, community or movement. And honestly, again, that is where some of the beauty of social media is can be right. I mean, I, I did not have like an Instagram community when Jackson was born because it was, it wasn't even there. <laughs> you know, Instagram wasn't there. Um, and so the lucky few Heather, and then a friend of mine, Liz started a retreat called like the lucky mamas who was just in the hill country. It was here in Austin. So I was able to go, it was close by my house so it brought in 25 just mamas almost for a respite weekend. And um, so that that has been just something that's been a really a real treasure for me. I've gone three years of just investing in the lives of each other because it's so hard. And yeah, just to, that we're not alone. So I think the lucky few is just kind of a organic kind of name that has resonated with this community of, of parents. Um and, you know, siblings and aunts and uncles and all that good stuff. But, um, yeah, so the lucky few is, wasn't, wasn't started by me. I'm just kind of feel a part of it and feel super grateful to be in this community. Um, and then at that retreat, we started the tattoo, which I don't know if you've seen that. Yes. But I have a good it, friend that has one. You do? Yes. Oh, it's so fun. So that's a that quick story on that. And I know, yeah, we don't need to spend a ton of time on this. But at, at the re- that first retreat, Heather basically had said, what if we all get matching tattoos? I mean, it was just one of those moments where we were all just feeling so grateful to know each other and kind of, you know, insta to real life friends. And, oh, we love each other. It was just this like giant kumbaya love fest. And it was like, let's get matching tattoos. And I kind of, as a like token designer, raised my hand like, First of all, I've never gotten a tattoo because I can't commit to a design. Like I'm not getting something ugly on my body on a whim <laughs> today, like or tomorrow because I'm part of this amazing community, but like no. And so I kind of joked and I'm like, "Y'all, we cannot just like design a tattoo tonight that we're all going to love and like all get on our bodies." Like I'm just such a realist, but I'm a dreamer, and so I kind of like held the whole idea at bay. And I said, "You know, the only tattoo, you know, that we just started talking about like how many of you already have a tattoo and what would you get if you all just began like a tattoo conversation? And I said, you know, I've had this reoccurring dream and I don't know what it means, but I wake up and I have these three arrows on my forearm and they're really skinny, like real thin, like that kind of beautiful new tattoo, like trend that's just like thin, thin, thin. So three giant basically arrows on my forearm and they're just clean and black. And so I just said that, like, I'm like, I've had this dream probably not like eight or nine times in the past several years. And so people just started saying like, wait, what, can you sketch it? What is that? What do you mean? And people just started like crying and saying all these different meanings of arrows and three and trisomy 21, just like the whole thing. It just exploded in this weird evening together. And I did, I started sketching it on everyone. And like 24 hours later, nine of us showed up at a tattoo parlor in Austin and got (laughs) it on our bodies. So crazy. And we get like wild. We posted it online and basically I, I, I cannot explain it because. Oh, it's a movement now. I cannot explain it. It is truly one of the crazier things that has ever happened because it wasn't planned. It was just fully a thing that like, 
happened. Yes. And so um, I think it's just so beautiful that it was a dream that I didn't even have a purpose for, you know, it wasn't like I was holding it out and like threw it out to the world at a certain time and like try to capitalize it on. It was just like this beautiful organic thing that was a collective effort. And so people, I mean, yeah, if you search the lucky few tattoo online now and in the hashtag, it's, I mean, it's, it's a thing. I was on the BBC once did a live with like a whole group of people who we're getting it over in London. And so I don't Amazing. know. It's, it's a global a crazy, movement. crazy thing, but thousands of people have it. And it's such a beautiful story. And my dad has it. My sister has it. Like, um, it's just, I mean, I get, I follow the hashtag. And so people all the time are like, can I get it if I don't have a kid with Down syndrome, but I love people with Down syndrome, my best friend. I'm like, yes, yes this, is, this is inclusive, not exclusive. You know, this is, this is just, yeah, it's become kind of like an interesting token and sign that maybe you too have have a kid or a, a loved one with Down syndrome in your life. So that's beautiful. So let me ask you two questions. What is some advice you'd give to a mama or a family that receives a diagnosis or has has a child that's born with special needs? advice right out of the gate. What would you say to them? Yeah. What would be, what would be kind of one of the first things you say to them? I think for me, the future is when I, when I think about when fear takes over or sadness takes over, it's when I'm putting my expectations on the future. But when I'm in the present or I'm looking at the past, I never feel sad ever. I do not look at Jackson every single day and feel sad or have fear. The fear is almost always some sort of projection about the future. Is he ever going to fall in love and find someone who meets his heart's desires? That's when I'm like, oh, what if he doesn't? What if he's sad his whole life? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, right? And so Mm -hmm. I would just caution everyone to take a day at a time and I mean, honestly, this, this, someone told me, like, when I was ready and prepping and I had just a newborn with Down syndrome, I'm like, let's change the world. And they're like, Micah, you need to just calm down and you need to make sure that he has food and that he's dry and that he's sleeping just like any other, you know, quote unquote, typical baby. And that's my greatest advice is what any child needs is eye contact and hugs and unconditional love from the people that are around them. And that's, that's a fundamental human need. And that can never, that's, I mean, that would be my greatest, my greatest advice is love. If you, if you're suddenly, maybe you just got a new diagnosis, you haven't even had a baby yet. You're scared. You're afraid. Like there, there is a community of incredible powerhouse parents and advocates who are for you. And you will find them and you will take one day at a time. And if you get lost in the fear of the future, come back to the present and look that, look that special kiddo in their eyes and know that it is your job to love them and make them feel like they have hung the moon. And that, I don't know. I think that's probably my greatest advice. That's great advice. And the fear advice, frankly, fits everybody, right? In how we live our lives. And how we look forward. Yes. Um, And, you know, one last thing I was going to say on this was I did feel like I use this kind of index card analogy. Like I felt like 
in the in that first week of recognizing, oh my gosh, I've got a kid with Down syndrome. What does that mean? And let's go to Google and like, okay, here's their life expectancy and here's a, here's their you know potential limitations they're never going to be able to do and they struggle with this, this, this. I just felt like I was reading this index card of everything that like all the limitations and obstacles that Jackson was going to face possibly in the future. And no, no other mama, my mom didn't get an index card when I was born that basically said like, Hey, guess what? Like, just so you know, Mike is going to not make the cheerleading squad in seventh grade. And she's like, not going to make class president, although she's going to run and really want it. And like, she's not, she's going to be terribly bad at math. And like, she didn't get, which all of those things are true. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Like I didn't, I'm, there's not, it's not all success. It's not all fun and games. You know, I had multiple failures and disheartening things and things that I am not great at through the years, but my mom didn't get an index card with those ahead of time. And she dealt with them one day at a time as she was, as I was growing and as she was growing and we were ready for them together. And so I think that that is the other thing too, is like, man, don't, don't read that index card of like potential limitations that you or your kid might be facing that you don't know. You just don't know. And there's going to be so many other incredible things that do happen that are impossible equally to get a positive index card, right? Like if the back had flipped and said, oh, she's going to start like this lifestyle brand and like Oprah's going to love her stuff. Like there's just, it's impossible to know either side of your index card, right? The failures or potential obstacles or this, the wild successes and the strengths. And so I think you just got to, you got to love your kid and take it one day at a time. And you're on this beautiful journey together. I love that. And what advice would you give to a support person? So if you find out that somebody near and dear to you has a child with special needs, what would, what would you, what did you need at that time? What kind of support or help or what did you need from those people in your network? I think people who came in tactically, especially in the, you know, as a first time mom, it was like someone that wasn't afraid to watch him and have me say, here are the things to look for. You know, it's going to take him a very long time to suck on a bottle and he has that bad reflux and this and this. But like, even if I just needed to get out of the house and run to anthropology for 20 minute mind break, right. Where I'm just like lost in my own sea of bottles and nursing and diapers at home, like never leaving my home it felt like the people who just showed up without permission and watched him for a second to let me go feel like a human again. (laughs) And then of course, as they get older, like just continue to invite us and our family to things. We're able to opt out if we can't go instead of assuming that we can't, or it's going to be too hard for us or for Jackson. Like we love to travel with our friends. We love to pull late nights and we, host a ton. And I think that we've tried to be out there with like, we can do whatever. And if we need to not, if we need to make any sort of accommodations necessary for Jackson, which there are tons that we need to do, we like, we can do that. It's not on the person. And so I think just constantly including people, um, in what you're doing, whether it's just like a neighborhood pizza Friday night or a vacation or a whatever, those are radical examples, obviously, but birthday parties, like all the things, you know, making sure that there's just, you're, you're including and loving on their kid, like any other kid. Yeah. That's great. 
I could talk to you for hours, Micah. I'm so inspired by you and your work and your life outlook and Jackson and your daughters. But I want to be respectful of your time. So I wanted to just ask you a couple of our end of podcast questions that we ask all of our guests. So you are on the show because you are somebody that we think illuminates in your life, in your community, in your business, in your family. Who is somebody that you know or that you know of that you think illuminates in their life? I think the first person that pops in my mind is my dear friend Jessica Honecker, who um, founded Noonday Collection. She's here in Austin and is just one of those gals that someone had said, hey, you're, you know, you're moving, you're a mom, you've got this business, you're showing up in Austin, you should meet Jessica because I feel like you guys are a lot alike. And so I showed up literally probably the third day I was here at her office. She had like graciously accepted a meeting with me and she came in, I think in like running clothes, you know, to her like fancy office in my mind, right? Like perception is everything. I'm like feeling all nervous and inadequate as my own lifestyle brand CEO, like showing up in Austin. And I just didn't know how she was going to be. And she showed up with her running clothes and was like, oh, sorry, I'm late. I just came from like my therapy appointment and let me just get my team all settled. And then, Hey, let's go grab a coffee. And just was super real right out of the gate. And so we sat down and probably talked for two hours and about all the things. And I just said, I need an office space. I need three employees to start ASAP and I need a church and I need like, these are the things I need. I'm showing up and I don't know you. And we're truly the best of friends now. It's been like five years since I've been here and She's a person I call with good news and she's a person I call with bad news and she supports me and remembers the struggles on the day that they're going to be coming, right? If I've had difficult things in business or things to celebrate, she just, she, she shares in both of them and I hope I do too with her. And so I think she truly illuminates positivity and joy and running a business with excellence and raising a family with excellence and it's just, it's a blast to be together. That's awesome. I listened to her Going Scared podcast. Oh, so yeah. the way you described her, I can totally see that based on getting to know her personality from that, from her show. Yes. We're two peas in a pod. Oh, I believe dangerous it. for sure. But I I'm like, believe it. hey, do you want to cancel everything and go to the spa today? <laughs> it's like, yep, I do. That's so great. And she totally will because she's a seven also. So it's really fun. Okay, so you mentioned seven. So you'll have to listen to our Enneagram episode that Ooh, we had with Ian yes. um, a couple episodes back. I'll, I'll send it to you. But that is a very seven thing to do. But you also need those people in your life, right, that are just going to say, yeah, let's go do this and yes. let's live out loud. Absolutely. What is one book recommendation that you have? Man, okay, I love to read, but I also really love to buy books. <laughs> I buy <laughs> books more than I read them, and I read about half, and then I get onto a new one because I'm constantly, like, absorbing and learning information. So I am queen of reading half of a book and then putting it on a shelf, and then I come back to it, right? So I'm, like, ebbing and flowing always with just reading. But I just started, actually, Far From the Tree. A, like it literally just arrived yesterday and I read the first like half, you know, first half of the chapter last night. So it's, and it is, I think 800 pages, which is nothing like I have ever read. So I don't, I don't read fiction. I mostly read business books or self-help books. Like I'm just a dork business book lover. So I won't give you a bunch of business books, 
but I'm not, I'm not helpful on the like, Ooh, just read this epic novel. Like I'm not your person for that. But this one, um, is more like, uh, have you heard of far from the tree? There's a documentary about it too. No, I haven't heard it. Okay. So basically the premise is it goes through what it's like to be different and have differences. And so it kind of, there's a chapter on all kinds of different abilities or differences. And he kind of goes through like vertical, vertical versus horizontal kind of differences. And some are innate and born and they're like a vertical identity. Maybe it's gender or some rate, like race, all those things that might be kind of you're born into. And then there's kind of horizontal identities, which is like alternate. Anyway, it's really fascinating, but it goes through, like there's a chapter on Down syndrome. There's a chapter just called deaf and it talks about the incredible deaf community and what it means to be a part of their community and then it like there's you know there's a lgbt community like whole community and chapter there's there's a bunch of different chapters of just some of like what it's like to quote unquote not be a typical i'm doing my air quotes which you can't see um it's just a really, really beautifully written book that's I think any parent or psychologist or anyone should read. So, um, but there's a documentary about it and I've heard it is lovely and wonderful. So I'm going to read the book first. Great recommendation. Speaking not of books, but movies, just curious, have you seen Peanut Butter Falcon? I have. Yes. It was so good. I went and saw it with my husband. We laughed so hard probably when no one else in the theater was laughing because we have a kid with down syndrome so like we just we were laughing hysterically at so many of the moments and yeah it's so good so good that's great okay so our podcast actually started out of a supper club so we love food so we've been asking our guests to share a favorite recipe that we can we can post yes so Okay, I one of my dearest friends started a food whatever food. She's a foodie, Instagrammer, blogger, whatever you call her these days, called the Modern Proper. Okay, almost any and all recipes these days that I make literally come from there, and it's not because she's a bestie or a friend. I'm not like trying to promote her. I just literally like if I'm like today gonna cook. I go straight there and they're all my favorite. And so one of my go-tos from the modern proper is um, it's an oat scone. And we just, we, I love breakfast and brunch and like Saturdays and Sundays at home. And I think that the base of this particular scone recipe, it's like oatmeal and yogurt, but you can add anything in there, right? So you can put fruit in there or you could put chocolate chips in there. And it's just a really great base and my girls now make them. They know how to do them. You can do them ahead of time and bring them to like the beach or a you know retreat or whatever that you're going to. So they're just super easy. And I always need some sort of pastry. I love like the like a coffee pastry morning on a Saturday or Sunday. So that's I think that's my go-to. It's not really helpful for cooking. No, <laughs> that's a great go-to. But- I'll link. I'll link in our show notes back to the recipe to okay, the yep. modern proper and to the, the oat modern scone. Proper, yeah, that's just great. Put in like oat scone into the search and I just tweak it and literally add chocolate chips. You know, it's perfect. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> great. We can, I'll, I'll add that in as well. And then my last question, you've shared a number of messages for the world, but what is, what is your one message for the world? My message for the world is I think, I think my personal like mission statement is that I, I, as Micah May, 
whatever I do, I want to create delight and joy for people through products and experiences like forever. That's what I want to do. And so I would, I, I mean, that's, it's hard to not to extract myself from my own mission, which is go create a little magic in the world. Like find the thing that's uniquely you and go do it. And don't believe in the kind of scarcity mentality out there that there's already somebody doing it or someone's doing it better than I could or that I am. Go be you and be unashamed you. And I believe that you've got value. Whoever you are, you've got value and you have so much to bring to the world. So find exactly what that is that like truly fills your heart with joy and passion and go and give it to the world because we need it. We need exactly what it is that you've got. Thank you, Micah, for sharing your story and your journey. You sure are illuminating the world around you. If you want to follow Micah, she's on Instagram at Micah, M-I-C-A-M-A-Y, Micah May, or at May Designs. M-A-Y Designs. You can follow the Illuminate Podcast on Instagram at the Illuminate Podcast or visit our website at www.theilluminatepodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and head over to iTunes to leave us a rating and review. I hope you have a wonderful week.